0: kind of where we've been and really the big picture. And so from verses 14 to 21, we're not going to put it on the screen because I just want you, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it, but I want you also just to sit and listen. You know, we kind of have information overload in this society and sometimes we just need to hear it. Uh, but if you want to see it, you can look in your Bible as well, but I was not going to give you that option today on the screen. And so beginning in verse 14, Paul says, this, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the treasure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's a lot of good theology. And now Paul's going to say, let's bring it home. Let's keep it real. And So this, in a sense, is the hinge. Chapter 4, verse 1 is the hinge of how this all starts becoming real uh, for us in our life. As a reminder, too, remember that there was a lot of talk of unity in this theology that the churches, the Gentiles, and the Jews were now coming together and being one as a church. And that's what Paul referred to also as a mystery. Imagine Gentiles and Jews worshiping together, being one in Christ. That's a mystery. In verse 10 of chapter 1, it talked about this this kind of master plan. It said that this was all to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's the big picture or as the message translation says it, this is a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth, becoming one under the head of Christ. And so now in chapter 4 beginning with verse 1, Paul begins to write these words, as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, Paul's keeping it real right off the bat. Here's all this theology, all this great stuff about God, but where was Paul experiencing it? In prison. Now that's keeping it real. So he's saying, this stuff that I live in prison, that I'm going to be telling you about at home and at work and in the church, it can all really happen. You can experience the fullness of Christ, of living under the Lordship of Christ, even in prison. It's almost like he's saying, and you don't have it even as bad as I do. I'm in prison, a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to live a life worthy, worthy of the calling you have received. Um, I think I shared with you before how every morning when our family has breakfast together, we, we also feast on the Word together based on scriptures that you wrote like a year ago. And about a year ago, uh, when it was Pastor Appreciation Month, Cass, Kathy asked all of you to pick scriptures to share with the pastors. And so some of you did that. And she printed them on these really nice cards and put them in this nice glass jar with a nice ribbon and a bow. You know how Kathy does, everything really nice like that. And I'm sure Jim helped me put the bow together and everything. But uh, So what we do is every breakfast, every morning at breakfast, we're sitting there eating our cereal. We reach into the jar and we pull out one of those scriptures. And then we read it. And we say, so what do you think that means? And so forth. So one of the, one of the people we had breakfast with is actually uh, Barbara Ward. We had breakfast with you this, this week. And uh, now, do I have to pay you $5 for mentioning you in a sermon? Make sure. I didn't ask you for permission before this. Just make sure. Um, but uh, she wrote Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so we sat there and we said, well, what does that mean? I mean, Paul was in prison in Philippians. How, um, Paul was getting all of his needs met, and he was in prison. How does that work? And so we started talking about Paul and all the things he suffered, you know, being stoned, being beaten, being left for dead, being shipwrecked, being thrown overboard and all of that How was Jesus meeting his needs and all of those things and and it was cool because my kids said well it was kind of like Paul just kind of got up every time and brushed himself off and said I'm still alive you know (laughs) I'm still alive and it's true no matter what happens God is pulling us through God is giving us the strength this is not pie in the sky theology this is real stuff and the same stuff that you go through, you may not be brushing yourself off because you've been stoned, but the things you go through, the hard things of life, emotionally, spiritually, physically, it's that like God is bringing you through. And God is giving us this wonderful call, no matter what our situation. And, and this other part of the verse is, is something that can feel kind of heavy, a life, worth, a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, sometimes I know when we read that, we go, ooh, that kind of feels heavy. Because maybe I don't feel like I'm living, I'm living that, that life in a, in a worthy way of the calling Jesus has given me. But here's, here's how I want you to think of it. Basically, I'll say it simply this way. I think too often as Christians, we don't think highly enough about ourselves. And what I mean by that is that how, how much are you worth to just, just think about this for a second. How much do you think you're worth to Jesus? And what I want to suggest to you is that you are worth so much to Jesus that he left heaven to come and get you. That he went to the cross and he died and he rose again and he endured everything he did because literally it killed him to think of not living with you forever. That's how how much worth you are. And so He calls us. Another word in the Greek that this word is translated as is invitation. He invites us. One other scripture in Timothy says, It's He who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. This invitation is from Him. This calling is from Him. And sometimes I think we go through life forgetting, how much we're worth to God. And we allow the things of society, maybe even own family members, maybe employers, maybe whatever it is, to beat us down. And we forget that we are worth so much to God. And that we mean everything to Him. That not only does He save us, but He then calls us sons and daughters. He calls us His beloved. And so Paul's saying, don't forget this calling. Don't forget how valuable and how much you're worth to God. Live a life remembering how worthy this calling is and how valuable you are. Paul goes on in the next couple of verses and he says these words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, for me, these are hard words. Be completely humble and gentle. So how's it going these days in the area of gentleness? Humility. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. Paul's really spelling this out. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Those are great words, and those are wonderful virtues, but those are tough, aren't they, sometimes? You know, there's always that kind of understood joke. It's like, don't ever pray for patience, right? Because when you pray for patience, what happens? You get all kinds of things you've got to be patient about. (laughs) and It's very difficult. But, you know, God calls us to be humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. He called us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, last week it was really fun for me to watch you all do the experiment. Remember everybody on this side were complainers? And everybody on this side were the ones who gave thanks when they greeted each other? And I noticed not too many of you changed seats this week. So. But it was fun because I asked this side, you know, how many of you who were the complainers feel closer to Jesus now? complained about that. And then over here, yes, we felt much better in our relationship with God. Last night, and this is a fresh illustration, fresh from last night, you know, um, we were fixing dinner. And, uh, you know, it's kind of growing up in Adventist, a typical dinner was linkets or Big Frank's. And you could serve them up different ways, you know, you can put them in the bun, you can uh, get fancy and wrap them up, you know, and put some cheese in there, you could... uh, or if you're just, you just, just, if you're a true lover of linkets and big frames, you don't need anything but the can, right? You just pop that thing open and just start eating them out of the can. Now my wife doesn't understand that, and it really drives her nuts that my kids enjoy doing that with me, because you know we're just like, what's your problem, mom? But they got my genes, they got my DNA, and uh, so last night uh, we were we were beginning to do this, and I was opening up a can of linkets. And I found this in the canon. It's um, it's coming. I know it's coming. We believe in anticipation that it's going on the screen right now. There we go. <laughs> I told you, Trace, timing was everything. There you go. So we found this in the canon. Now, do any? Of you, first of all, do any of you recognize that there is something wrong with this picture? Okay. Now this, is, We need a higher resolution screen because on that screen it looks really good and clear. You're all going to turn back now. And see, see, it's much sharper on that screen. <laughs> You're all, I didn't know we had a screen back there. Um, I opened this can and there was this dark black looking Lincoln right in the center. You know, it was like right there. And my wife goes, oh. And I go, well, I'll just pull it out. You know, we'll get rid of it. And she goes, oh, no, we can't have any of those. You know, I go, what do you mean? There's just one bad one. She goes, no, 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 because it's all sitting in the same juice, you know. And it's all in the same juice, and so we're not taking a chance on any of those. So we had to throw the whole can of linkets away. Um, but, you know, you get one bad link in it, you know, and it just ruins the whole can. And I thought about that. See, this is fresh from last night. This is the preacher's mind when he's fixing linkets, you know. But it's like, we get... Just think of this a church. A church with people who are not humble, who are not gentle, who are not patient, who don't bear with each other in love, and don't have the bond of peace. How many of us want to be part of that church? But it just takes one, doesn't it? Just kind of bring about that. And it's just like, oh, and it just it just infects the rest of the body. But Paul says be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in. Make every effort to keep the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. I like what Richard Hubberson said, who was a previous chaplain at the Senate. He said Christianity was birthed in Galilee as a relationship. It spread to Greece and became a philosophy. It spread to Rome and became an empire. It spread to Britain and became a culture. It spread to the United States and became an enterprise. See, we have to remember that this thing called church is all about relationship. All about relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with each other, and relationship with the world around us. This is not an enterprise. And that's the problem we get into, because if we make the church an enterprise, then everything about the church is about productivity, about the enterprise. And what happens then is that the programs and the events become the end, and the people become the means. And in that process, people don't get treated very nicely. Because it's not how well we treat people. It's about getting the product out. In fact, there will probably be some enterprises that would say they get better production when they're mean to their employees. You put fear into people. You make people feel guilty. You kind of get them fearful, and they can produce more. But that's not what the church is about. The church is about relationship. Chuck Miller, in his book for leaders, says... We in America must leave behind our church-as-enterprise approach to ministry. Return to Galilee and lead a church that truly is about relationships. Is it too tempting? It is too tempting and often much easier to measure the effectiveness of ministry by the size of the enterprise rather than by the transformation of individual lives and the richness of the community's fellowship. That's what Paul's talking about here. A church that is under the head of Christ, that is one in Christ and living in Christ, will be a church that is growing in humility and gentleness and patience and love and the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to peace, where does our peace come from? It comes from God. It comes from Jesus, right? So if the church has a bond of peace, it means Jesus is present in the church. Because the church doesn't have peace without the presence of Jesus. It's impossible. It's impossible. A while back I shared a quote with you that's been sticking with me for the last month. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. That's where the peace is. And so this bond of peace for the church comes because Christ is present in His church. When Christ is not present in His church, there is no humility. There is no gentleness. There is no patience. There is no bearing with one another in love. There is no unity of the Spirit because Christ is not present. Paul goes on and he says in the next couple of verses, verse 4, There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. There is this one faith that can also be translated as trust. There is one trust. I like how that's put it. For the church, there is just one. One trust in God. There is one. There is no division. There is no this click and that click and this and that. It's one. Because Christ is one. And he says, But to each one of our son, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ is. Portion to it. And I like how the word grace is being used here because it's not just forgiveness; it's the power of Christ, it's the activity of God in the life of the church. This grace has been given to us as Christ apportioned it, and He goes on and He tells how this happens. Now, verses eight through ten are kind of like a word problem, and I don't know about you, but I hated word problems in school. They were always the toughest for me. But here's one of these verses, a couple of verses, where you kind of read it and then you you say, "Now, what was that again?" And here's what it says in verses eight through ten. He says. This is why, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Did you get that? All the ascending and all the descending and the ascended and the descending. But here's what Paul's doing Paul is taking a verse from Psalms chapter 68, verse 18. And he's using this verse for a very speci- uh, specific reason. Now, Paul is writing mostly to Gentiles, the Gentile Christian churches, but there are some Jews as well. And he's drawing on a passage of Scripture in the Psalms, chapter 68, that was part of the liturgy for the Jews in Pentecost. It was a Pentecostal liturgy, if you will. Now, if you remember some of the festivals of the Jews, uh, Passover was a big one, right? Passover, where they celebrated God's deliverance of them out of Egypt. Well, from Passover, then, you had Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks. And this is 50 days after Passover. And so they celebrated the first fruits of the harvest that would happen. But they also celebrated on the, on the 50th day, they celebrated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so they counted the days of Pentecost, look, looking forward to that day in anticipation of what God did for them in giving them the law. Well, here, Paul is taking this, And he's saying this whole first fruits thing is found in what God did on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. That he, Jesus, who descended from heaven, came down here to earth, and then ascended after conquering Satan, going up to heaven, has now brought down gifts for his church. Because if you read that verse in in chapter 68 of the Psalms, it doesn't say that he gave gifts. It says that he received gifts from people. And so he's turning it around, he's saying, this God of ours, he gives gifts. And so when he gave us the Holy Spirit, he gave us all these gifts that he's going to get into in a second here that are making the difference in the church and in the world by being connected to Christ. And so he's given us these first fruits. And he's also celebrating the fact that not only did we get the law, but we got the very presence of God now in our life who enters our very being and is writing his law on our hearts keeping it real he's making it alive and so in doing this in doing this paul goes on in verse 11 and he says it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers see it's biblical pastors are a gift from god right i had to get a plug in there i'm sorry but he gave us his gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what? To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, the purpose of these leadership positions is not is not to be put on a pedestal and not to say, you know, we're it and you all have to bow our purpose is to be servants. Our purpose is to help and equip and encourage everyone to understand this. Every single one of you sitting here today and or standing are ministers. Your ministers. your servants. Every single one of you are called to serve in the body of Christ. No matter how important or how little you think you are. When you read in 1 Corinthians 12 and you read in Romans 12 you'll also see about the body of Christ. That every single part, every single member, every single bit of the body is essential. No matter how young, no matter how old, you play a vital role in the body of Christ. And when we all serve together, we do this, it says in verse 12, This is all to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, our maturity happens as we serve. As we serve in humility and gentleness and love and patience and kindness and peace. But what Paul is saying here is that maturity matters. Maturity matters. Because when we mature, the body of Christ is built up. We reach unity in the faith and knowledge in our experience with God. You see, the change from infancy to maturity is huge. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean productivity. It means maturing in humility. Maturing in gentleness. Maturing in patience. Maturing in love. You see, the most mature people in the body of Christ are the ones who are the most humble, the most gentle, the most patient, the most loving. That's the maturity that Paul is calling for in the body of Christ. Forgiving, showing mercy, crossing the line and reaching out to your enemy. That's the maturity he's calling for. God's people serving with these virtues. But the wonderful news is that it's not done by just saying, i got to do better and do more. It's done just by simply being present to Jesus. By letting Him be present with me. By giving Him my attention. By surrendering my life to Him. And trusting Him. We live in a world that cries out, Serve me! (laughs) Serve me! If I pay you enough, you ought to serve me like nobody ever has. If I come into your store, you ought to serve me like... If I come to your table at the restaurant, I better get the best service. And Jesus calls the people together not to ask to be served, but to serve. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus in the New Testament is John chapter 13. It's a Passover they're going to celebrate together, the, the Last Supper. And it says, Jesus, who has been given all authority from the Father... Got down on his knees, took a towel, and served. That's the model. That's the, that's the vision that God gives us of He's calling us to outserve one another. Not who can do this for me, but what can I do for you? Serving. Coming together and serving in unity. Paul goes on in verses 14 through 16, and he says this. Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Notice again. The head is Christ. The church is not the church It's not the body of Christ unless it's connected to the head, Jesus Christ. If we're not connected to Christ, we're just an enterprise. We're just another organization that likes to get together on Saturday mornings and sing maybe some of the songs that we like and say hi to each other. But without Christ, we're not the church. Without His presence, we have no peace. Without His presence, we have no agape love. We don't have the forgiveness, we don't have the will to forgive and to surrender. We don't have the vision of service. Because, you know, unfortunately, service can turn into an enterprise as well. You know, have you ever met people who do things for you, but you know you're going to be paying them back later? We can serve in the name of Jesus and we can give and give and give, but then sometimes when we want our way, well, I've done this much, so they ought to owe me this. That's not what it's talking about, is it? It's serving with no agenda except to please our Lord. we experienced His sacrificial service in our life and it's impacting our lives. A level one commentator said the church is an organism pulsating with life and made up of living persons who are responsible for growth of character and personal development according as they use the gifts that Christ has bestowed. An organism pulsating with life. It's all about relationship with Jesus all about relationship with each other. I want to close this morning with a story. A story of a marathoner. I don't know if we have very many marathoners in this church. I think we have a few. But this year at the London Marathon, um, there was a gentleman, Wilson Kipsane from Kenya, who won. 37,000 total runners. His time was 2 hours, 4 minutes, and 44 seconds. That is a godly time, I'm telling you. That is. But there was someone else who ran the marathon, a young lady. Her name was Simone. And this is her up on the screen. She's on your left. Simone and her friend Tally. Now, what you don't know about Simone is that she has epilepsy. And she averages about four seizures a day. And so her friend Tally was running this marathon with her so that when she would have her seizures, she would catch her before she hits the ground, wait for her to come back, and they would get up and run again. Now, at mile eight, she had her first seizure. And she said, Tally said, she was out for about 30 seconds, and then she kind of got up and they started running again. Well, for the next 18 miles, she had 19 seizures. But she went all the way, and she finished. It took her six and a half hours, but she did it. She did it because she had a vision, and she did it because she had someone alongside of her that loved her and was patient and was gentle and was humble. God calls us to journey together, church. We live in a world that calls us to live apart put walls up and to put guards up, but God calls us to be present with Him and to be in relationship with each other, to live as the power of one in Jesus, to live as the power of one connected with Christ, the power of one, of a whole body together in Christ, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one trusting faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all, through all. Lord, thank you for calling us to you, the one. Thank you that you're interested even in just the one, but you call us together to be one, even though we are many. But Lord, this is a mystery that you can pull off because you are God. And so, Lord, we ask that that we would allow you to just lavishly pour out your grace and grow us in humility. Grow us in gentleness. Grow us in kindness and peace and love. Grow us in your presence together that we may always remember and enjoy and grow being the power of one. Please take a moment now just in silent prayer to talk to the one.